Coming up on this week's episode of the Zenial Odyssey Podcast. How about you pet your cats? Nope, not the one that you got from the pound. <laughs> well, we can realize that we're both peaceful species that are just looking to connect with one another. Get in trouble, but whatever. Um, no one's listening, so I can't. But my brother will send me all the scripts, the screenplays of all the movies that are going to be big in the next two years. Like In the 1980s, it was a blo- we said it, a blockbuster. On a summer day, get the whole family together. Yep. Let's make a day out of going to the movies. And horn jazz intro. We are back. No, we are seriously back, everybody. Welcome again to the Zenial Odyssey podcast, the XOP with Bobby Rocks and Remy here. Uh, our next episode, I think this is going to be fantastic. Uh, we are going to talk about something that is near and dear to both of us. Uh, we are going to talk about the importance of science fiction in the 1980s. Oh, Amblin, Amblin. Yeah. yeah. And we're, and we're going to talk about that Ray specifically. Bradbury, Bradbury, Bradbury. Philip K. Dick. Nicely played. Blade runner, runner, runner. Yeah, yeah, because we were going to bring up Blade, yeah. Um, so for anyone who uh, is of our age, it doesn't matter whether you watched it in the 80s or the 90s. At some point, you uh, you binge watched or you just added to your catalog science fiction movies from the 80s. And I bring up the 1980s because the, the 1980s is a turning point yeah. in science fiction of any form, whether it's movies, whether it's uh, comic books, graphic novels, um, fiction works. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's a turning point. It's a turning point for so many reasons. It's a turning point for the themes. It's yeah. a turning point for uh, special effects. It's a turning point for um, the main just pop culture. Like it, 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 it infected pop culture in the 1980s and became profitable. Like as far as a medium. Yeah, I think that if yeah. if you really look back proper and you had to sum up which era of film was the biggest or genre, it would be. Um, action and sci-fi especially on the instances when those two melded together absolutely you know like yes. total recall type shit you yep. know and so uh we're gonna just we're gonna break it down a little bit we can even break it down by um specific medium um and we can talk about his importance like that we can give the little feedback because science fiction science fiction had, has been around for a hundreds of uh, you know at least a couple of you know, 150 years, we'll say. Yeah. Uh, just throwing out that number. But it's been around in that form, whether it's short stories or whether it is um, books. And then it continued into the early 1900s. Don't discredit the artwork, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and it also went, got into artwork. And then um, as television became important in, in the 1950s and 60s, uh, we still had – science fiction was getting its – it was getting its play there, but there there was a big theme, and it was uh, yeah. that that science fiction is scary. Like the things about it are scary. It's a threat, daunting. It's, yes, yes. It's something to be uh, not welcoming. I guess would be the the way to put it. Um, yeah, that's that's fair. And and I know I, I said the 1980s, but it starts in the late 1970s. Like this, the starts in the late 1970s, obviously with like Star Wars, but Close to, Encounters. I was going to say, but we got to talk about Close Encounters of the Third Kind because yeah. that was, that to me was like a, wow, we can't speak a language, but we can speak through, we can, music. We, yeah, we can speak through music and we can realize that we're, but we can realize that we're both peaceful species that are just looking to connect with one another. Uh, and that's my teaser for that because we're, we're going to, 
delve into that a little more. We should talk about the sequel too that never got finished. There's a sequel? No, it never got finished, but it was oh, it was, it was dark as fuck. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. They way, weren't as nice to us. Oh, was it way better than uh, like 2010? <laughs> <laughs> I've not, you know, I've never actually seen that film. You've never seen 2010? No, because I just had a feeling it just wasn't. I think if I can watch it and separate it from the original. Well, wait, I'm doing that thing. Yeah, Rob wanted to go on a break, so let's do it. Yeah, we want to go on a break. All right. So as always, yeah, we'll go on a break. We'll play music. Uh, obviously, we're going to play something sci-fi related that I can find on Soundstripe. And then we're going to come back and we're going to just delve into this topic. I'm really looking forward to it. I know Remy's really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And we hope you are looking forward to it here on the XLP. As always, everybody, welcome to the Odyssey. Welcome to the Odyssey. And we're back. Then we're back. Yeah. So should we just should we start should we jump off from Close Encounters of the Third Kind? We um I think just jumping off from the vibe itself, just okay, the Amblin so, sci-fi yeah. 80s vibe. So I mean I think we're gonna we're gonna break it down by m- movies, movies, books, and, and comic books and so forth. So wait, let me just get it right off the jump. Of okay. these films that came out, obviously people know we're talking of, you know, Close Encounters, Ghostbusters, E.T., all these. Which one is the most iconic to you? Which one was the most helping you become a formative sci-fi fan? The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, For people who don't know, I mean, and we can do another episode about why John Carpenter owned the the late 70s to the 80s. Um, We can do our own episode on that. Uh, We could do an episode on why if Season of the Witch was not a part of Halloween. Such a masterful film. Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the Halloween franchise, it would have been looked at like a a good movie. Um, so so I want to bring up uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. The Thing was technically a remake of Who Goes There. Of a, It was a movie, The Thing from Outer Space, but yeah. was based on the story, Who Goes There. Uh, for people who don't nice know... Nice deep cut. Yeah, yeah. For people who don't know, uh, The Thing is a parasitic alien life form from another, from another planet that crash-landed in Antarctica 
and wasn't discovered till the 20th century by a group of scientists that were on their station there. And slowly they get assimilated by this thing. And then they don't know who's what. And, and what's who. Yeah, and what's who. And so where I love what I love about John Carpenter, whether it's horror or thrillers, he builds an atmosphere. So number one, we have this atmosphere. Oh we're, my we're, God, it's we're, choking. We're desolated. We're in desolate, hostile land in Antarctica. There's no help coming. It's just us. We can go outside to get away from this thing and we'll freeze to death. Yeah, there's no solace anywhere. We don't know who's what and who's going to try to assimilate me. And you know what that's all based on, right? What's that? Communism. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Red Scare, 100%. The original piece was 100% a propaganda piece about which one of your neighbors are conspiring Mm -hmm. with the enemies, which one of your neighbor is the enemy. Now, the added element to his this atmosphere that he's built of tension and uh, just suspicion and all that and the paranoia it mm-hmm. comes across to the to the viewer it comes yeah. across to the viewer he adds gory special effects practical which by the way not all of them stand the test of time but most of them do. most of them do and it's why i absolutely hate cgi yeah. and if you and if you want to know why go on youtube watch side by side uh clips from the first thing and then watch the re- the prequel in 2011. Uh, I was hoping you weren't going to. Which okay. is all tooth. Which is all CGI. No, let me. Can I parlay this conversation? Sure. Again? I'm sorry. I'm a movie guy. Okay, so my brother writes movies and deals with people who are more important than us peons. And so he knew he he actually and I'll get in trouble, but whatever. Um, no one's listening, so I can't. But my brother will send me all the scripts, the screenplays of all the movies that are going to be big in the next two years, like all the time. Like I've gotten to read them. I got to read The Northman. The new Robert Eggers oh, movie. Ooh. It's hard to read violence in action, though. Yeah, it's very yeah, different yeah. than watching it. But um, but it's Viking, so I'll watch it. Oh, yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's Willem Dafoe. I'd watch that yeah. dude read a menu. But um, wait, circle me back in. What was I talking about? Uh, The prequel to The Thing, 2011. Okay, so those guys who made it, first of all, let's talk about the story in and of itself. It's kind of good. It's kind of good. They do a decent yeah. job. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> The guys who made that film loved the original. Yep. Every effect in, in the thing to the prequel was practical. Yep. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. You know about this? Every effect in the thing prequel, I will always say it's the most unfairly hated movie in the world because the guys who made that movie got screwed. Every effect, the split face, all of it that you saw that was CG was completely finished and practical. Gorgeous. Looked exactly like Rick Baker's work. Gorgeous. Wow, and the studio, it was done. It was done. Want to talk about looking up on YouTube? Look up the original effects from the Thing prequel. So, is it because is it because we're at a point where CGI is cheaper? It's actually cheaper than doing. Well, no, because it was all done. I, it had I, been no, paid I, for. I get that, but it's like yes. It, first of all, yes, it's quicker. Yeah, it's yeah. easier. But here's the thing. So it was done. <laughs> I gotta stop saying that. So it was done. Imagine being the filmmakers, being like, "Oh my god, we did it!" Because if you watch it, ignoring the CG, the cast is amazing. Yep. Setting's amazing. They got real like people from the Netherlands to play characters from the Netherlands. Yep. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead or whatever yep. is amazing in anything. I'm sorry. Yes, I love her. The as world loves her since Scott Pilgrim, let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's parlayed that into an action career, which is dope. But um, yeah, they finished it and the effects were perfect. Like, were they practical and looked kind of like the 80s? That was the point of it. Yes. Yep. And the studio was like, you know what? Let us get the final edit. And they were like, what does that mean? They're like, don't worry about it. They redid every effect on top of the original effects with CG. Oh, that sucks. They got their film back and like they even talked about wanting to take their name off it, yeah. but they couldn't. 
They oh, so they gave it the uh, <laughs> going going a little off off of the reservation here. Oh, they gave it the Alan Moore approach. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know who Alan Moore is, Alan Moore <sighs> has guy. written every single awesome comic comic book graphic novel you've ever heard of, and he hates every single adaptation. adaptation yeah. And the one he hates the least is The Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> and do you notice how I put that? He hates it the, the least. least. He still despises it, but like yes. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen made him want to kill himself. Oh, but did it want to make him do that as much as V for Vendetta? But I know, but V was still good, though. If I know. you didn't read the book, it was still good. I know, but, 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 but that's my problem. I, I read all this stuff, so then... Yeah. So, so like, again, uh, so let's go back. We, go, we went with All right, so let's talk about big things that happened in the 1980s related to sci-fi movies. Okay. First off, they became blockbusters. Oh, my God. So the industry saw that you could cash in on those. Summer blockbusters. Summer Jaws, blo- Jaws thank you. sci-fi. Thank you. Summer blockbusters emerged in the mid-late 70s, yep. and it, it continued. And then at some point, E.T., let's call it for E.T. and Star Wars. E.T. Yeah. and Star Wars really, really... Uh, catapulted Cemented the whole and, scene and they let it know and by the way as a side uh george lucas and steven spielberg do deserve their their due oh, yeah. uh they do deserve their due for science fiction that they're part in it uh but now we're going to talk about um the most important aspect of sci-fi to come out of the 80s which influenced everything after it and it was the perception of let's talk about another john carpenter movie that people don't really talk about Starman. Oh, dude, no one even knows it exists. Dude. It might be one. Of, it might be his best movie, arguably. And, and yeah, exactly. And what did that do? First off, first off, for anyone who doesn't know about Starman, yeah, you got to tell them. Yeah. So Starman starts Deborah with, Winger. Um, no, 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 not even, not even Deborah Winger. No, I'm trying yeah. to remember. And, and who? Um, um, Jeff Bridges, right? It was uh, Jeff Bridges, and it was Joan. Al- no, not Joan Allen. Um, she was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, That's who I thought was. De- yeah. Yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah. Joan Allen. Great act. Great actress. Yeah. But in her own right. But not the one we're talking. Anyway. So the, it starts in space with um, Voyager 1 or 2. You know, playing the golden disc with all the languages of Earth. And the yeah. That and real that. thing. It's real. And so, yeah. So it's it's traveling through our solar system. And this alien and these alien life forms pick up on it. So they send one of them to Earth. And in typical fashion, they're like going, oh, wow, these are really peaceful people. We're going to go and check out with them and see what we can learn. And, you know, they come to the, the U.S. airspace and they get shot down because, yeah. oh, you know, you know, the complete opposite, you know, how, how, how typical, by the way. How um, it would really play out. So this uh, life form, which is basically like an orb of light. Yeah. Uh, so he, he, uh, he stumbles upon this like cabin in the woods where this woman is a widow. Her, her husband has recently died. And this alien life form finds one of his hairs in the rug and it melds with his cloning DNA. Cloning before cloning. Exactly. We have cloning. We were talking about genetics. Yeah. Uh, so he's an exact replica of her husband. And obviously at first she's like freaked the fuck out. And then he abducts her. But um, so the government knows. So the whole story of the movie is he has to get to this place where his people have said, we will pick you up. And he has to trust this woman who is like, oh, you're not my husband. My husband's dead. You're like an alien life form. Because she did watch him change. Yeah. Uh, transform while the government's after them. And I bring that one up because what that one did in a different way than E.T. did. E.T. did it like humanized aliens for Normal, kids. Normalized it them. normalized aliens for kids. Yeah. But what this did is it normalized it, it, extraterrestrials in the sense that they are human. They are beings that have their own thoughts and feelings. Yeah, they and might not souls. want to kill us. Yeah. yeah. You got to yeah. talk about how good Bridges it was, was it, in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was existentially wonderful. But now... Like eating food for the... Like you get yes. to see him do all these beautiful, yeah. beautiful things for the first time and he does them awkwardly. It's really... It's a delightful film. Yes. 
And then now let's go to one of our favorite movies. Speaking about existentialism, Blade Runner. Yeah, I mean, isn't it everybody's to an extent? Can, can we think. first? Can we first give Ridley Wait, can Scott? Can I? Can I say? I'm going to forget this if okay. I don't say this. All right, Harrison Ford. Okay. It, I, I don't know how to do this delicately, so I don't think I can. If you rewatch Blade Runner right now with a different set of eyes, he sexually assaults Sean, Sean Young three times. He sexually movie. assaults a robot. But multiple times. Yep. Doesn't let her leave the apartment, throws yep. her against the wall. There's a weird dynamic of male to female violence in that film. Yep. Even Daryl Hannah, when she broke her when she really broke that window in that scene, you know yep. about that? She got a mad, mad concussion like it's really interesting. It's almost hard to rewatch some of those scenes in the wake of the Me Too generation. Yeah. Because, yeah. um, yeah, he's, he's you know, and I think that we're supposed to be like, it's okay, she's a robot. And then she kind of every time gives in and kisses him back. But if you watch those scenes at the start, like, it's, ugh. Here's my, away from those, and here's my, here's why, from an existential standpoint, I think Blade Runner is such a fantastic movie. You have Harrison Ford, who's a detective, whose sole job as a detective was to find replicants. So that those were art; those were basically robots yeah. who were almost identical to human beings. And he would have uh, the test system that he would ask them, and and it was a series of questions. And it's just you would get to a point where an artificial intelligent being would answer it different than yeah, a human. the Turing test, right? Yes, where a human would. And I mean, they they basically take him out of retirement to do one last job because why? Because these these uh these beings had escaped from the plantation they were on in space because they were slaves because yeah. we enslaved the the robots to go do the work and look like humans out in the world and what did they do they came back to earth because they wanted to figure out how to extend their lives because their lives were 4 years yeah 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 so their lives were 4 years so they were trying to get back to earth to get back to the the company that created them to find out how they could extend their lives yeah like, but they were made. They were made to look like the bad, like the villains. Of course, I mean that's the framing of the, yep. the world right now, too. And then, uh, I know you want to talk. Uh, you talked about Jeff Bridges. How about Ruger Hauer? Oh man, it's a great. I would argue that his final speech in that film is, is and he improved a lot of it. You people couldn't <laughs> dream of. Can only, yeah, oh, such a good one. Tears in the rain, man. Yep. Um. So for me, what that did is it gave a perspective on artificial intelligence. Uh, it, it, before that I think in science fiction it was artificial intelligence is a threat it's going to become self-aware and try to kill us uh, and it's like here we have artificial intelligence it has become self-aware it has realized it's enslaved yeah. and it's got a fixed point on life that it has no control over so it wants to gain the control back of its life and it just wants to be free but I have a question for you sure um, so Harrison Ford replicant or not I think he was a replicant yeah so do yep. I I think that's what the origami was and, symbolic of. And I think that, um, that speaks to, because I think the whole film, when it first came out, I think most people feel like he was a human being. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. But, yeah. but he's, he's, he seems like he's got a moral dilemma with what he's doing. Like you said, existential crisis. Yeah. So now, now we have that. a replicant used to kill other replicants. Yeah. And then obviously this Blade yep. Runner 2049 furthered Confirms, on that, yep. you know, it did. It had Ryan Gosling in the same kind of like existential void which i think is super interesting because i i do think if you programmed an ai smart enough it wouldn't know it was it wouldn't know it was an ai exactly it's just intelligent and if we want to stick with ai and it's not on the level of those movies uh war games oh man talk Uh, about like a predicator now with the online society where wars can be started with a few keystrokes you know Mm -hmm. uh matthew broderick was so iconic man yeah then he killed a person yeah 
Drunk driving. And then man. he killed a person, which ended up killing his career. Yeah. I mean, justifiably. Almost as much as marrying Sarah Jessica Parker. Right. Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fucking Bojack Horseman. Uh, hey, Sarah, why the long face? <laughs> <laughs> it's my uh, face. Um, but then as the decade as the decade went on, we had movies like The Fly. So we started the decade with like Starman, where we were talking about cloning and genetics. Then the horrors of science. Yes, and then we got that. Total Recall, too. Yep. All those. Total Recall. And Running then, Man. And then Back to the Future. We haven't even talked... I mean, that's, we could. That's, we could. I mean, it is science fiction for the state of like that. But I loved how that really kind of made fun of like where we were as a country. For people who don't know, one thing that Ronald Reagan, our president during the 80s did is he was about getting back to 1950s values. Yeah, the values, family, yeah, family values. Fucking bullshit. But hey, people babelated it up. People ate it up. Ronald and Reagan's the same guy that said marijuana is the biggest threat to our youth culture. Um, And how about this one? People don't talk about this one. David Lynch, Dune. Oh, yeah. I mean, no. it's it's a great film if you don't know the source material. I think the other issue, too, is it just, it it wasn't the right time for a movie like No, Dude. no, it was too yeah. lofty. Yep, it wasn't the right time. I mean, he it. did a great job considering what he had to work yeah. with, you know? When you watch the new one in comparison, you're like, oh. You know what's funny, though? The two movies we just brought up, both Denny Velnu. Yeah, yeah. Guy's got an eye, man. Yep. He, he really, he, you want to talk about a guy who clearly worships and was reared on sci-fi. Yep. And then um, movies I didn't even write down because I don't want to... Wait. Okay. I know it's not fully, we're not doing it, but we can't skip over Alien. No, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't. I was okay. going to go there next because I was going to start it by saying that one doesn't have CGI. So I'll, I'll go to that in a second. But can we talk about um, Ridley Scott and James Cameron, great directors in their own rights. Can we talk about Ridley Scott's direction for Alien and James Cameron's for Aliens? <sighs> Best, maybe the best sequel ever. Yeah, made. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would say, for me personally, it's right up there with Terminator Two. Yeah, I think it's, those, it's, and they're both James Cameron movies. Surprise, surprise. Guy. How funny is it that he's he's too scared to make Avatar Two? He should be. But I mean, dude, you can't sit on your franchise yeah. for a decade. I'll be the first one to eat, you know, wipe egg off my face if that movie is even remotely impressive. But I even watch Avatar now and laugh at how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. acting, the the no, the acting's okay, but even some of it, like the lead, wasn't good. But the CG's not impressive now. Nope. It, they look like cartoon characters. It's a stolen story of Dances with Wolves and Pocahontas. Yep, we've heard it a million times. It's just I don't know. And he's like, well, the next one. Have you heard this? The next one takes place underwater. Have you heard this, <laughs> James? You've already done movies <laughs> like that. It's called The Abyss, right? It's called Titanic. We're not getting there yet. So back. Um, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So Aliens, uh, a great movie that builds. Like John Carpenter tension, the oh first, the first one that you know you don't get the full shots of the alien until. Uh, first off, can we go back to John John Hurt? No, not John Hurt, the guy who was the android. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Um, he was the president in uh, Viva Vendetta. No, he's a Hurt, isn't he? He was also the guy who played um Elephant Man. No, I know. He he is a Hurt. It's just John Hurt is some John Hurt's like someone different. Um, but either way, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, an alien jumping out of his chest. I mean. And he didn't even warn the other people in the scene. Yeah. Oh, that's so dope. Yeah. That's Love why it. if you look at the actress's reaction, it's genuine repulsion because yep. she gets the blood on her face. So my big takeaways from Alien, besides, uh, by the way, we haven't even touched on the artwork of- H.R. Um, Geiger. Thank you. Why am I blanking on his name? He's He was phenomenal yeah. with, with that. Um, yeah. His style. But look at Sigourney Weaver. Look at her as Ripley in both movies. So. Yeah, she is so good, but she's different. Like in the second one, she's hardened. Oh yeah, she's exactly she's, where she's she should hardened, be. hardened and she is a badass. Yeah. Um, and I bring, I want to bring up those because 
uh, for someone like me, we're going to do another episode after this. That's going to, I think you're going to like too. And I'm teasing it like that because I'm not saying it. All right. So anyway, so as an impressionable child, who, who were the kind of people I looked up to in movies? Cause that's what I did. I watched movies. I got to watch a badass like Sigourney Weaver, Weaver as Ripley in Aliens, the sequel. Yeah. Like, you know, fighting the queen alien with that machine saying, get away from her, you, you bitch. bitch. Like, come on. Like, like, yeah, like th- that's what I love. That's, that's the eighties right there that people don't talk about. It didn't happen on a broad scale, but there was that. I mean, if people want to call it feminism, I think that I think you can make the argument Aliens is a feminist movie. Well, like, horror did it too. Yeah. People were always like, "Oh, well, women die in horror." Yeah, but there's always one or two who live. They're always yep. the predominant survivor. It's the yep. final girl thing. But I think you got to understand the people we are. All the people we're mentioning: James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, all of them were raised on David Lynch. S- David Lynch yep. were raised on serial sci-fi stories from the yep. 50s and comic books yep so it's like the seeds were planted in them young because mm-hmm. if you you got to understand frame for frame indiana jones and star wars you could rip off exact frames from serials that he just essentially remade but he knew he's like this worked for me so it's going to work for a new generation my fear bringing this back because i love talking about film um is that cameron lost it because he was one of the greats yeah yeah um because he was really the first director to introduce us to cgi if you think about it oh in the dude, abyss the abyss doesn't yeah. age though no it doesn't because and i bring that up people because i do detest where cgi went Ugh. but when it started it was pure of heart it was the it, like you watch the abyss 1989 it's 33 years old the water face it stands the test of time yeah terminator 2 judgment day the c1000 so cool. stands up yeah these things stand up him not him forgetting that the gun was metal. Yes, just yes. little details that Cameron gets. Impressive. But also, don't forget the people who work with James Cameron want to kill themselves. I can see why he's yeah. a monster. Yeah, yeah, he's he is. That's where he's like Stanley Kubrick, hundred percent. Yep. The best James Cameron story is the PCP story when they wrapped Titanic, and he ruined some lot. People had water lung and flu and shit. Like he just he's tough to work for. And when you're working in water, it's known to be really tough. So at the rap party for um, Titanic, somebody, probably more than one person, spiked everything with PCP. <laughs> Bob just spit laughed. <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen that. Literally, like this is this is fact proven. I personally, my theory is that it's Kate Winslet because she's insane. Um, not in a bad way, but in a fuck this guy way. But um, yeah, and a bunch of people at the party were like bugging and flipping out and they had to bring in... Um, EMTs and everybody got shot full of Valium because it was like a, a angel dust nightmare. But that's how hard yep. he is to work with. People drug the food. So why did we? So why did I bring up the sci-fi of the eighties? Uh, and we haven't even touched upon Stephen King. We haven't even touched upon the. That I think he always yeah, has to be his own episode again. And the and the comic books. And um, let's go back to uh, Blade Runner for a second. Yeah. Who who did retrofitting before he did? And he also set the tone for how it still looks. Yep. And on top of that, he introduced the U.S. market to cyberpunk. Oh, my God. Yep. And now Be- it's like the because most that viable. Op- and that opened it up for series like Akira and Gundam because that was where it started for a lot of us. And then we all got that joy. So my this is my long-winded way of saying, why did I bring it up in this role for people of our age? And why is it important? Because it laid the work for everything you enjoyed in the 90s and today. Yeah, and and think about even our understanding of space travel and a lot of different elements yes. of, of physics and stuff. A lot of the people who pursued that stuff are people who grew up on those films. Yep, 
Exactly. You know? Elon Musk was just a nerd who wanted to go to space. Now he's a nerd who's gone to space. Yes. Uh, so let's go. Now let's talk about what am I talking about exactly? Oh, well, do you love Marvel? Marvel Marvel tried and failed. Pierce, yeah. They tried and failed like like a DC did kind of but not really. Uh you love you love Batman, you love all that stuff. That stuff doesn't get the push that it did when Tim Burton like took over in the 90s uh be, without the foundation that was laid by science fiction and and everything. Well, we don't have a Watchmen adaptation without the foundation that's laid by Marvel and everything that became huge. Like everything's built on top of something else. And it, it to me, because people don't realize that there, before the mid seventies, there was no such thing as a blockbuster. Yeah. There were movies that could turn money. Yeah. But it wasn't, a, but it, it wasn't they didn't, a system. they didn't turn money like it does now. Like, and I, I say now, but they didn't turn money like they did in the 1980s. In the 1980s, it was a block. We said it, a blockbuster on a summer day. Get the whole family together. Yep. Let's make a day out of going to the movies. By the way, that's dying too. Yeah, like, I know. Yeah, and I think it, I mean it's just it's to me it's logical because of home Who wants entertainment. To go out home wants- entertainment and streaming. And listen, right? man, I was at Batman, all right. And it was packed, and there were like a couple weird people who were like walking up and down the aisles. And I thought we might get shot, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, but that happened in another bat. I know it's really very like first world to worry about yourself like that, but I'm sorry when you're sitting home smoking a blunt, drinking wine, and watching a movie with your SO. There's no threat of any problem there. You can have pajamas on, you can yep. eat what you want. Like mm-hmm. I, when I went to Batman, I spent 40 bucks on popcorn and drinks, and I was like, yo, what the f? You know? Yeah, it's like, what the hell with this? <laughs> yeah, I know it's frustrating, yeah. and so it's a, it's definitely a dying model, but it's a model set in place literally by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, with yeah, yeah. Close Encounters, ET, yep. and Jaws specifically. Yep, it became monumental to bring the family. I saw Jaws and Poltergeist at a drive-in theater at the same fucking time when I was a kid with my family. That's awesome. Oh my god, it was trauma. I was like, look that way, I'm traumatized. Look that way, I'm traumatized. <laughs> I'll never forget it. But it was so formative in the shit i do a lot of my art is dark a lot of the stuff i focus on is sci-fi and dystopian but i think we were weaned on it it was like this beautiful tit that everybody in the 80s got to feed off of yes oh and it and uh to this episode goes without saying i mean it started to uh change pop culture it started it invaded it much like the thing it invaded it but think and, about- and it and it changed it changed aspects of it and it changed its relevance and ultimately it it influences so many different things that you wouldn't even, people out there wouldn't even think of something interesting that we haven't touched on um we need to talk about the fact that how much that bled into the growth of video game culture uh, asteroids yes. space yes. invaders tempest all the arcade games that you played if you yep. went to an arcade as a kid outside of like dragon's lair was a space-based game where yep. we were getting invaded or we were invading. So the current, the hunger of sci-fi. You know, it's interesting too. This is how weaned we are on sci-fi, okay? I'm so glad I remembered this. We're so weaned and normalized by sci-fi that when the government came out a year and a half ago and said, oh yeah, no, we were lying this whole time. UFOs are 100% real. There have been tons of them that have flown next to Navy ships. There have tons of them that have flown next to crafts. They came out with this, right, during COVID, and this is how it landed. (laughs) Maybe the biggest revelation, there are people who lived and died for that cause that wanted to know, and it just quietly happened, and we're so normalized by sci-fi. We were like, oh, cool, yeah, we thought so. No one was like, holy 
shit. If you watch those declassified like reels that they released of like Navy flights and Air Force flights. Yeah. It's fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Like their whole thing. It's so messed up that like at one point they kept seeing craft in Florida. And then we lost, we lost um, power to our nuclear armament weapons for three days. And the government, a lot of people don't know this. This is 100% declassified. And people were freaking the fuck out because they didn't know. Because this was during the Cold War. Yep. This was during the missile crisis. So for us to have our bombs suddenly shut off was absolutely terrifying. And they kept seeing crafts. They're like, we think. So the conclusion they came to in the report is that an intelligent being came in and shut them off as like a don't, just don't do it. Oh, like they, um, like a surge. Like yeah. They did, um, like if like a solar flare, like an EMP or yeah, something. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. and a lot of people who the takeaway from that was it wasn't an act of aggression by whoever visited. It was a yo, you guys. We've seen you wipe yourselves out. Like just don't do it again. But it's like for the world not to react with a holy shit to that information shows you how normalized we are to sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great point. Um, because that's huge. That's once in a lifetime news, you know, and the, for them to be like, yeah, all the time we said, no, we were lying. Making a nine, now now jumping to the 90s here, everyone. So we're, imagine, now imagine you grew up on the X-Files and you mm. realize like they drop news like this and it's like, eh, fuck it. You know? I know, and I did. I used to rush yeah. home to watch that show. I did too. I used to, that would be my, my, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's fantastic TV, perfect casting. Mm-hmm. But that's another one. There's a perfect example. X Files would not have been fire in the '90s if Amblin didn't do it in the '80s. Yep. It was a direct, and even Stranger Things. What is Stranger Things? It's an Amblin movie. Yep. Yeah. I think that's great that you uh, you brought that up because I, I on our next episode, that's where we're gonna go. By the way, we're gonna go into uh, the television shows of our childhood and our early adolescence and how that has influenced our outlook on life. Because hundred oh, percent. Because I want, I think it's important for a couple different reasons, and I might have touched on it in shorts and other podcasts, but now we're going to give it focus. So I think that's a good point to to jump off. Yeah. And uh, you know, can I do our can I do our out call tonight? You can do absolutely. Go for it. Oh, you lovely ladies and gents! Looks like another day with those millennial podcast is wrapping up. So how about you pet your cats? Nope, not the one that you got from the pound. <laughs> we'll be talking to you again soon. <laughs> Well done. Well done. Take care, everybody.